from Woodland, California, broadcasting live from a pre-recorded session via Carmichael, California. Uncle Steve is a bigger weirdo. Are we on the Steve and Get the podcast? We are on the podcast. Same bad time, same bad time. Yeah. That's Welcome to the Stephen Gedney Podcast. I am your host, the one and only SG on the SGP. It's episode 27, October 19th, 2015. Thanks for joining me. What's happening? I'll tell you what's going on, man. We are in the middle of Halloween season, my favorite month out of the year. The trifecta of holidays of the year. In good old Northern California, it's been a nice week. Thanks for listening, subscribing, all that good shit. Now that that's out of the way, what's been going on? Well, I will tell you what's been going on. First of all, I am drinking a Not Your Father's Root Beer, a alcoholic root beer that uh, I've heard about on a local radio show here in Sacramento called Rob Anybody and Don, and also recommended by my buddy JP. And uh, it's pretty good so far. It's made by a company called Small Town Brewery. Uh, I don't know if there's a location for this. I don't know. I threw away the box. I just put the bottles in the fridge. But uh, here you go. This is it. Beer with flavored spices. We like to think of it as a dark spiced ale with vanilla and honey notes. Best served chilled 
or poured in a glass over ice. Over ice, huh? We know you'll enjoy it. We do. Not your father's root beer. Ale with the taste of spices. 5.9 alcohol by volume. Volume, whatever. So here we go. And it is really good. It's really good. It just tastes like like root beer with a little hint of uh, alcohol aftertaste. This could be very, very dangerous. And I'm sure it's packed full of sugar as well. So yeah, man, uh, it's still pretty warm up here in California, but what can you do, man? It's it's hot. Uh, the weather hasn't been as as uh, as high as one had expected, but you can never ever trust the weather app on your iPhone because every day it changes. I recommend uh, your local news forecast, but this past weekend we got hit with some thunder and lightning it was pretty insane man like friday night laying in bed with the wife the dog dog just kept barking getting up running around scratching me with her fucking paws uh and she was scared and at one point i had to take her outside take her potty and i'm in nothing but my boxers and my flip-flops completely dark just getting rained on and luckily she didn't have to go number two because that would have, uh, I would have came back in and had to change my underwear from being so soaked. Uh, yeah, but other than that, it's still pretty warm. I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, I got a bone to pick with uh, a couple guys I know. One of them in particular, Chris Gomez. If you're listening, he said that I sound too much like a radio guy. Like I'm on a radio show and I should just be talking and having conversations. Well, I like my voice, Chris shit man actually i don't i hate my voice honestly especially my singing voice but when i'm just talking and having conversations with people i don't (laughs) i feel like i sound the least manly uh as a person that you could but when i'm talking close to a microphone especially a 60 dollar microphone like this one that i'm speaking into right now as i speak (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think it sounds pretty cool. I get the, there's a little bit of dry smokiness uh, with a, a subtle, subtle bit of uh, of sugar coat. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm a, a radio DJ. It's just the way it comes out. So maybe when I'm interviewing people and 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 talking uh, in conversations a little bit more, it, it won't sound as much like a radio DJ, but. I don't know. Maybe I got a future. Maybe one day some DJ will listen to this podcast and be like, "Hey, man, you wanna you wanna do uh you wanna do our call letters?" And so, you're listening to WHIB, the Wib, <laughs> or the Hib. I don't know. I'm I'm retarded, as uh, Chris Farley once said in a great movie called Tommy Boy. But speaking of movies, it is October every week. In this month, I've been watching horror movies. Been trying to do two a week, but unfortunately, uh, it's been busy. And I'll get to that later as well. But uh, I only got to watch one horror movie this week. It was uh, sometime after work, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Popped in uh, from 1990, Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And there, there's probably seven, seven of these in the whole series. The original one came out in the 70s. Uh, the part two came out in the early 80s. And I remember seeing part one and two a bunch uh, in my teens. And then part four, which was the next generation, featuring Matthew McConaughey. I saw that uh, sometime in the 90s. But uh, this one was, out of all of them, I've seen the least amount of times. I always remember seeing the VHS cover walking around Blockbuster and Hollywood Video back in the day, and uh, I was always creeped out by it. I mean, it was definitely a, a scary-looking cover. And that was, you know, there, there's a such a lost art uh, when it comes to uh, movie art in general, especially VHSs. Sometimes you get a movie, and the cover had nothing to do with what was the what was actually in the movie. Uh, but this one, unlike a lot of those. Things like uh, Fright Night 2 and uh, The Video Dead, um, Chud, whatever whatever uh, other 
B movie I could think of. This one wasn't actually art. It wasn't penciled or, or painted or airbrushed. This was a, basically just a picture of Leatherface from the movie. And uh, like I said, as uh, when you're a little kid, it looks pretty freaking creepy. And they, they carried that over to the DVD. I bought the DVD a few years ago at Walmart, one of those $5 things. And uh, so I watched the movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Now that I'm older, 30 years old, I can I can see it from a, a different viewpoint, a different uh, uh, point of view, <laughs> the same thing, viewpoint, point of view. And uh, I'll tell you, here's the basic story. Uh, there's a, a, a couple, uh, a man and woman, they're driving through Texas, they're arguing, they stop at a gas station, there's a weird-ass dude who works at the gas station, there's another guy who's sort of a cowboy who wants a ride, the guy doesn't want to give him a ride, the girl kind of thinks he's cute, uh, the gas station, the dude working at the gas station is kind of a freak, he's spying on the girl going to the bathroom, a la Anthony Perkins from Psycho, basically that kind of thing. The cowboy guy walks in, sees him doing that, the big fight happens, and uh, the man and the woman who drove up and to get gas, they take off. They go down this route uh, that the cowboy dude recommended, and meanwhile they see uh, uh, him getting shot and basically dead uh, in the in the rearview mirror. And so that's basically how it starts, and then uh, there's a car crash, they meet another guy, uh, Leatherface shows up. Uh, tow truck guy shows up tow truck guy ends up being evil girl runs away to get help over at a local house turns out a bunch of psychos live there blah 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 it's it's basically the uh the most generic out of all of the texas chainsaw massacre movies uh and at the time it was the early 90s horror itself wasn't uh it had died down from the big 80s boom. You know, you had your, your Friday the 13th and, and Nightmare on Elm Streets, And then uh, Hellraiser debuted in the late 80s. But right around 90, uh, it just wasn't the thing anymore. I think it was uh, shit like Point Break. <laughs> that that kind of took over for a while, big action movies. But... Yeah, man, I mean, uh, if I had to compare this to all of the rest, and let's ignore all of the movies from uh, the year 2000 and on. Let's just say the first four. So you had your original in the 70s, then the 80s, and then you had one in 1990 and another one in 1994. And so if you wanted to base it on the original uh, set of uh, sequels, it's it's probably... uh, the weakest one in the series as far as acting, as far as story, as far as uh, suspense. And, and keep in mind, I was five in 1990, so maybe if I saw it as a little kid, it would have been a lot scarier. But the guy who played Leatherface, I think he was the worst one out of the bunch. You know, Every time they do a movie, there's a, a, a different actor playing him. And yeah, I mean, there not much can be said other than the fact that the movie had a pretty kick-ass soundtrack. Some it sounded like, you know, the late '80s metal stuff, and I can't remember any bands on there uh, specifically, but I remember texting JP and saying it sounds like King Diamond or uh, maybe some Dokken. You know, Dokken did the Dream Warriors soundtrack a few years before that, so who knows? They could have been on there, but yeah, it's kind of funny seeing. Uh, some scary fight breakout, and you just hear guitar riffs and solos. Not necessarily the uh, uh, the greatest uh, mood music for that particular scene. Man, I need another drink of this root beer because it is so good. Oh yeah, get yourself some not your father's root beer because it's awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, overall, I don't know. I would rate it very low on the scale because, okay, the original, and it's it's so weird because the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it was known as being one of the scariest, bloodiest, most suspenseful, violent movies of all time. And then when you watch it, there isn't any blood in that entire movie, that it's all in your head. And it was it was very much a groundbreaker uh, for horror. Your, your Michael Myers... Uh, was the beginning of the slasher film but 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre was different. It was, uh, it there's definitely some sort of a social commentary about backwoods uh, inbred weird people that you run into. Kind of similar to, uh, in some ways, uh, movies like Deliverance or um, shit. There's there's another one. I want to say White Lightning, but that's not it. But it. Uh, there's there's a movie with Fred Ward from the seventies where they uh they're getting chased through the swamps <laughs> by all these uh redneck hillbilly guys with guns. So it's it's kinda that kind of same thing, you know, you you never know uh what you're gonna run into in the middle of nowhere. So there there's that and um the chainsaw, I mean uh, up until then I don't think they ever used a chainsaw in, in horror movies. And it's so that and from there, movies like the Toolbox Murders and all of the uh, the other slasher films, all the way to like Saw, where power tools became a horror uh, icon (laughs) uh, of weaponry. You had your knives and uh, but there was that there was also a movie called The Driller Killer. (laughs) You never would have saw the Driller Killer if it wasn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then the second one, the second one added so much more humor. And I don't believe it was specifically uh, successful financially as well. But uh, they created uh, Chop Top, uh, Bill Mosley's character, uh, who will live on forever as one of the most iconic figures in in horror (laughs) of the uh, 20th century. He was a Vietnam vet with a big metal plate in his head, and he was always scratching his brain with a, a bent-up uh, wire coat hanger. I mean, who thinks of that? And he's and he's a hippie as well. And Leatherface doing the humping move with his chainsaw in front of his crotch. And then, of course, Dennis Hopper, who at the time wasn't really uh, uh, wanted in Hollywood from the whole... After Easy Rider, uh, Dennis Hopper went to make a movie in Peru called The Last Movie. And uh, it was such a failure, and studios didn't want anything to do with him. Plus, he was all on cocaine, and he uh, uh, he abused his wife. I mean, he was, he was just crazy. Uh, and he was almost like one of the guys from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He was living out in the middle of New Mexico, and... If you do some searching uh, online on YouTube, there is a documentary out there uh, where they talk about uh, Dennis Hopper uh, editing uh, the last movie. And I think at one point the movie had a a certain uh, story. It was very linear, uh, traditional storytelling. And then Alejandro Jodorowsky, the director of... El Topo and the Holy Mountain, very avant-garde director, saw it and was like, "You need to change this up, man. I, this is uh, <laughs> if you want to tell a story, uh, you need to uh, change the way people think about it." And then he re-edited the film, and then it was just a disaster. So he did, however, uh, Dennis Hopper did, however, end up in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Vietnam epic Apocalypse Now. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Basically, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, probably my least favorite. Uh, other than uh, there's a couple good parts. There's Ken Forhey, who was in the original Dawn of the Dead from the 70s, and later in uh, The Devil's Rejects. Uh, funny actor. He needs to be in some more horror movies. He was in this one. And also, uh, there was an actor, I don't remember his real name, but he played a character uh, named Alfredo. <laughs> kind of this weird, uh, mentally handicapped uh, dude who was disposing bodies. And he was also the guy from the beginning of the movie in the gas station and doing his whole Anthony Perkins psycho masturbation scene. So, uh, yeah, all in all, how do I rate this film? Um, five out of ten. Yeah, 5 out of 10, uh, 2.5 out of 5 stars. So if you're a fan of horror and a fan of uh, the series in general, then yeah, you got to see it. And I believe that there is uh, a lot of deleted scenes on the DVD with a lot more gore. I I 
seem to remember reading that this this movie had a lot of issues with the MPAA having to cut out uh, violence <laughs> and yeah it's it's funny because of the shit that they get away with now like on the walking dead speaking of the walking dead let's get right into it the walking dead came back uh season six premiere last week you're listening to this on monday which is uh, October 19th, and so the second episode probably aired last night, but since I record this before The Walking Dead, I'm talking about the previous week. So, the first episode of the new season, the, the gang is all there in the Alexandria Safe Zone, a, uh, a town that's pretty much uh, separated uh, from the outside world as far as giant walls go. But uh, they got to go in and out to get food and supplies and people. And it picked up right where the last season left off. There's still the people who were living there. there, And then the group that showed up. There's still uh, some mistrust issues. Uh, Character of Morgan, who was in the very first episode of The Walking Dead, he showed up as well. And uh, the whole... I'm not giving away too much. This is a spoiler alert, but just a little bit. Um, the whole episode was about them trying to get this giant cavern full of walkers from point A to point B because uh, it was, uh, it, imagine like the Grand Canyon, you know, like cliffs all around and then a giant valley below and uh, there's like hundreds of thousands of these zombies and they're trying to get out but they're blocked by trucks but the more uh, weather begins to wear down on the dirt uh the trucks will slide off and then you know you got a hundred thousand zombies coming to your little boarded up town what are you gonna do so the, the what they the whole episode was about uh different members of the group trying to guide these walkers these zombies uh down different roads and away from their town because they don't want to get eaten they don't want to get killed they want to get them out of there so it was just a lot of work. Somebody ended up dying. Uh, and then at the very end of the episode, they just hear these loud car horns going off. Or maybe it was just one horn. But uh, all of a sudden, all the zombies were distracted and they started going towards the sound of the horn, which the group members happened to uh, find out that it was coming from their town. So. There is some sort of an evil group of uh, humans out there that are trying to fuck with them. And uh, I get the feeling, based on watching the next episode, that these uh, evil doers have uh, broken into their town. And they're just trying to use these zombies as pawns in uh, their their, uh, mission of domination of whatever's left of the human race. So, pretty strong opening. Can't wait to uh, continue following uh, this awesome show. And uh, I I hear a lot of flack about it. People say that it's too slow. It's one of the worst shows on TV. Other people like it a lot. And, I mean, look, it's it's horror. And uh, there's a couple other zombie shows out there. But this one's the best one. It's it's got the best actors, the, the best budget, the best storytelling. And uh, I think they do a pretty good job trying to make such a uh, far-fetched fable uh, uh, as real as possible. So there's that. Also, Fargo Season 2 just started. If you haven't got a chance, go back and watch Season 1. It's available on Hulu. It, it, was, uh, it aired on FX. It's based on the uh, movie from the 90s by the Coen Brothers with uh, Steve Buscemi and William H. Macy. But uh, it doesn't necessarily follow that story. It's it's more like in the world of uh, Fargo, North North Dakota, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. That whole just that very northern part of the U.S., the northern Midwest, and uh, where people are very quirky and uh, don't necessarily notice <laughs> uh, some of the things that people on the coasts or the big cities would. So. Uh, the whole first season had to do with uh, a hitman and a guy killing his wife and extortion and just some really, really great acting and twists and turns. So season two just started. 
not a lot of big names. Um, Kirsten Dunst, who you know from all the way back in like Interview with the Vampire in the 90s to the Spider-Man movies in the 2000s. Also, uh, Kieran Culkin, uh, brother of Macaulay Culkin. Uh, I believe it was Kieran. It could have been Rory. You never know with all those Culkins. They all look the same. One thing is for sure, though. As adults, they still look like creepy little kids. <laughs> you can throw facial hair on them, but they still look like kids. And uh, Patrick Wilson, another good actor. He's been in a lot of stuff. The Insidious movies, Watchmen. Uh, there's a movie called uh, Hard Candy. Very, very creepy stuff. Uh, has to do with some uh, child molestation accusations and uh very cool thriller so either way uh the show started off so far there's been uh uh, there was a lot of shootouts and and blood uh some humor in there and also aliens but uh all done in a great way so i'm very curious to see how that show is going to unfold will it live up to season one because we all know that true detective season two did not live up to season one uh, also, I just watched uh, episode two of American Horror Story Hotel. Told you last week about the first episode. The second episode was really cool. Uh, just expanded on what I already thought was Lady Gaga's character is a vampire, and there are ghosts. And the cop uh, who moved in to uh, the hotel at the end of the first episode, he's in this this one, and he's just starting to. Uh, uh, get involved in this whole world and they introduced a couple characters one of them I do not know his name but he played Dandy in uh, American Horror Story Freak Show the last season and a uh, pretty cool actor and he just showed up and also Evan Peters who has been in all the seasons so uh, I, I really like what they're doing there's um, I, I don't, I'm not going to give away too much of the story um, but I could just say that the outside world, outside of the uh, outside of the hotel, it's it's today, it's modern times. But inside the hotel, there's very much an '80s vibe. Now you have all of your uh, shining uh, tributes and throwbacks, you know, to Stephen King's The Shining. But also, there's a, just a lot of '80s stuff. Whether it's the fashion, uh, the look, the music. And, uh, and the neon, and it's it's just very cool. Uh, they've definitely stepped up their game this season, at least so far. For uh, the last two, uh, season three and four, uh, the quality, I mean, I, I will always support this show unless it just goes way off the deep end. But uh, the last two seasons uh, have gone down compared to season one and two, but we're in the middle of five. Uh, well, we're at the beginning of five, and uh, it's it's good, man. And Lady Gaga has uh, been acting pretty well, and I'm just uh, curious to see where the story goes. It's definitely violent. It's definitely sexual. It's definitely creepy, and uh, I highly recommend it. So that's it for the TV shows. That's it for my horror movie uh, of the week. Uh, next week, I'll try to watch a couple more because... I uh, need to catch up, man. It's it's Halloween. Um, let me get to just a little bit of news that I've read recently. Um, Marvel and Fox have uh, agreed to put on two television shows sort of based on the X-Men. Now, uh, I've t- I think I've talked about this in the past, but uh, Marvel Comics, you know, the creators of... The X-Men, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Spider-Man, uh, the list goes on and on. They they own these characters, but when it comes to making films, uh, other companies own the film rights, the cinematic rights. So back in the 90s when Marvel wasn't doing so well, they sold the movie rights to X-Men and the Fantastic Four to Fox, and then they sold the movie rights to Spider-Man, uh, for Spider-Man, to Sony. And that's why these Avenger movies have become so big, because by the time they had money to make their own movies, all of their most famous characters, uh, at least at the time, X-Men and Spider-Man, they couldn't make movies out of those characters because somebody else owned the rights. So then they are like, what do we got? 
okay, we got uh, Captain America, we got Iron Man, we got the Hulk, and Thor, so then they just, they they did, they made what they had, and they've become just these juggernauts in the movie industry. And most recently, uh, Spider-Man, who was owned by Sony, and they did the three Spider-Man films with uh, Sam Raimi from the Evil Dead films and a bunch of other shit, and Tobey Maguire uh, starring as Spider-Man. And then they did a reboot uh, right around 2011, 2011, 2012. And uh, that one, uh, they were uh, directed by Mark Webb and uh, starred Andrew Garfield, who you guys know from the social network. And uh, after the uh, success, or not so much success, of uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, they've worked out a deal, Sony has, to lend the Spider-Man character back to Marvel so they can put Spider-Man in the new Avengers movies. Now, this summer... A movie um, based on the Fantastic Four, another reboot, came out, and uh, it was critically and commercially panned. Nobody liked it, and a lot of people are thinking that uh, Fox wants to give these characters back to Marvel because at least put out some sort of a joint effort to where both parties can make money. And uh, no, I mean... As far as I know, that's just a rumor, and Fox uh, isn't going to be giving up their X-Men rights anytime soon because the last few movies they've done have been pretty successful. They have a new X-Men Apocalypse movie coming out next year. But uh, this week, I heard some news that um, Fox uh, is going to, and I don't know if this has to do with their TV rights or movie rights, but uh, Marvel and Fox have decided uh, to put on two pilots, uh, two different TV shows based on characters from the X-Men series. Now, I got really excited until I actually read the story uh, because they're not the X-Men. They, sure, they are characters based in the X-Men universe, but those characters are staying in the movies. And I really think an X-Men show would be really cool because the animated series... I mean, that's basically how a lot of people got into the characters in the first place. So, uh, this is based on ScreenRant.com. Um, I'm just going to read you the description, uh, general description. So, this is in the middle of the article. Here we go. While we're not just... Ugh, let me try that again. Here we go. While we're not there just yet, Fox and Marvel just announced that they are working together on two new X-Men TV shows. Now, that sounded super exciting, but I'm going to keep going. A wonderful sign that they have or are building towards a healthy working relationship. Fox Television Group Chairman and CEO Dana Walden said in August they were close in finalizing a deal with Marvel for a live-action X-Men television series, and now they have one series, working title Hellfire, is coming to Fox home of DC Comics series Gotham, while the other, Legion, will come to a more adult-themed FX network. Now, before I continue, I just got to say that uh, Gotham is a pretty cool show, prequel to the whole Batman mythology, but they switch it up and put it in modern times. And uh, I watched the first, you know, 12 episodes last year and kind of just got tired of it. But when it came back... uh, it was something it was called something like Gotham Villains Unleashed or Villains on the Prowl whatever and uh I w- I'm curious to see what they've done with the new uh the new season so I'm catching up on Gotham right now I watched 3 episodes this week I'm uh I'm on like episode 15, 16 now so I'll keep you posted once I get into Gotham but let's continue with this X-Men news The news comes just days after Marvel TV commanded a strong presence at New York Comic Con by showcasing footage and episodes for their upcoming programs, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3, Agent Carter Season 2, Daredevil Season 2, and this fall's Jessica Jones. Although these new X-Men series will be separate from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 
They could be set in Fox's X-Men movie universe. So the first one is called Hellfire. Hellfire. This is the show that's coming to Fox that's going to be the same shit as uh, probably airing the same night or, or whatever as, as Gotham. So set in the late 1960s, the series, which will be produced by 20th Century Fox Television and Marvel Television with 20th Century Fox handling the physical production, follows a young special agent who learns that a power-hungry woman with extraordinary abilities is working with a clandestine society of millionaires known as the Hellfire Club to take over the world. Hellfire, expanding on the Hellfire Club introduced in X-Men First Class, that's a movie, led by Kevin Bacon's Sebastian Shaw, has a mind-blowing list of producers behind it. Coming from Fox TV, The Donner's Company, and Marvel TV, the list includes... Laura Schuller Donner, Brian Singer, Simon Kinberg, Evan Katz, Manny Cotto, Joseph Loeb, and Jim Shore. Hellfire will be written by Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne. Blah, blah, blah. I don't really care about his comments. Uh, anyways, the Hellfire Club, uh, if you guys ever watched the X-Men animated series, it's this club uh, in like New Orleans, uh, Evil Mutants almost like a mafia type thing and and gambit the character of gambit had a lot to do with them so the second show which is going to be on fx is called legion so here here's what we know about legion fx networks has ordered the pilot for legion the story of a troubled young man who may be more than human it was announced today by Nick Grad and eric schreier presidents of original programming fx networks and fx production uh, blah blah blah. All the basically all the same people who produced uh, uh, who are producing the other one. They're producing this one as well, plus some other people, including some dude from Fargo. The Legion pilot will introduce the origin story of David Holler, who has been diagnosed schizophrenic. But after a meeting, after meeting a fellow patient, he learns that he may not suffer from mental illness at all. He's a mutant. In Marvel Comics, Holler who later takes the codename Legion, is the long-lost son of X-Men founder Charles Xavier, also known as Patrick Stewart in the movies. As a teenager, David's powers become too strong and uncontrollable as his multiple personalities emerge, each seemingly controlling different mutant superpowers. There are many stories involving Legion that tie directly to the X-Men and the new mutants, of which there's a Fox movie in development. Nick Grad, president of blah, blah, blah. So anyways, there you go. Two TV shows, one on Fox, one on FX, one a little bit more adult themed than the other, uh, are seemingly going to be filming uh, sometime in the next year or two. And we'll see. I mean, it's they're not X-Men shows. Maybe they're, they're using the X-Men name as trying to get people to watch them, but... Uh, also, it's it's sort of like Marvel using Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's just take uh, a B <laughs> title, a C title, and uh, try to make something out of it because uh, we have it <laughs> and we're running out of stories to tell with all the people you already know. So, uh, interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it for the, uh, the movie uh, TV geek shit. Um, it is Halloween coming up and I, uh, this past weekend, uh, my buddy JP, his wife, Sammy and her sister Tabitha, we all went to a haunted house attraction here in Sacramento, Rancho Cordova, Heartstoppers haunted house. Last year, JP and I, and also our buddy JK, we went to Colson Manor in Roseville. So wanted to keep the tradition alive. We went to a new one this year and... Yeah, man, it was it was very cool. We show up. It's uh, the old mine shaft is is what it's uh, listed as, <laughs> and uh, the, the as soon as you go in, it, there's a big room. There's this uh, this Christmas tree looking thing, but it was Halloween themed. There was orange lights and uh, spider webs and skulls. There's people dressed up in costumes. Immediately, you see one really, really long line going into one of the haunted attractions. And uh, the whole uh, inside area was Western-themed, but like a, a 
uh, ghost, <laughs> ghost western, maybe a little bit of uh, southern gothic influence in there. There was a, a area where you could take pictures with your friends, and uh, when the pictures come out, you see ghosts standing around you. But uh, immediately we go there, and in the back, the very first line, it was the longest line, and as the night uh, progressed and we went through each attraction, the lines got shorter and shorter. So that was good. But the first one, it was called Malice in Underland, which was an Alice in Wonderland uh, uh, takeoff or something like that, whatever you want to call it. And uh, so we, we finally get in there after like 25 minutes of waiting in line. And the first thing is there's two airbags that are just pressed up against each other and you got to go through them. So you, you're going in there, and it's just pushing on you, and it's kind of like you're reliving what it was like to uh, go through a birth canal as, as a newborn. And uh, we made it through there. There's some uh, fog and, and dark lights, and uh, this particular attraction was outside. And uh, here's the thing about this one is uh, the girl who let us in was like, go ahead and stay about 30 feet behind the people in front of you that way everybody can get an equal amount of uh scare time and uh, as soon as we got in there it was like the people who were behind us were right behind us and literally it just uh you couldn't you couldn't keep a lot of distance because everybody walks at a different speed and uh also with it being outside you can kind of see the scares uh coming before uh they happen so we walked through it, and it was a very cool Alice in Wonderland theme, like like it says, and got to see the caterpillar with the hookah and some of the, the card dudes and uh, some evil-looking bloody rabbits. And then finally at the end, you see the evil queen when you walk through the hedge, ma- hedge maze. And Yeah, that was fun. The next one was called Deadlands, which was a, a Western theme. Wait in line for another 15 minutes, and then once we go in, we go down some stairs, and we're in an actual mine shaft, a very dark tunnel. Um, I don't know what they use this mine for. But uh, it, uh, it was very hot and very humid under there. No joke. And it was another line. We were just basically standing in line, but it was like we were being uh, uh, submitted to the elements. <laughs> that happened underground very stale air a lot of body heat it was not very comfortable and by the time we finally made it into the next attraction you know we were a little lightheaded and uh deadlands was awesome i was in front uh the girls behind me jp in the back and we were walking through and lots of people jumping out scaring at scaring you uh there was one room where you see these bodies laying on uh gurneys and you really think that they're going to jump up at any time and instead they got somebody sitting in the corner who jumps at you and those are just mannequins so kind of play tricks on you and the scariest part which was actually the scariest part of the entire night was there's this room that's supposed to look like a, a evil butcher's uh kitchen and uh there it was dark strobe lights lots of sound going off there's big slabs of meat hanging from chains that are swinging back and forth. And then there's this dude wearing a bloody pig mask. And he has a bloody uh, rubber apron on and some sort of a chainsaw or, or cutting tool. I don't know. And so that that was definitely creepy. Make our way through a few more of the rooms. Lots of scares, jumping out. And immediately you go into the next line. Uh, which is also underground and and this one was uh totally just a blackout total darkness i was in front again and it's basically you're just making your way through this maze and and feeling the walls and i mean i have good night vision sometimes but it was so dark in there i could not see a thing and (laughs) apparently we had just missed a section where if you take the wrong turn, you end up going in a circle over and over again, and that can't be fun. Then finally, when we made it to the end of the uh, the dark uh, blackout maze, one guy jumps up and, and screams at you. So that was fun. And then the very last one, we went back to the main building, and uh, it was called the Asylum, and that line pretty much only took like 10 minutes. And then, you know, it's it was an asylum, basically. 
you go on through there's there's people in electric chairs and and jumping from uh, uh, clear glass prison cells a lot of little girls that look like they're from the ring and they're they're really still they their their faces are covered in long black hair and uh yeah then they were they were pretty creepy <laughs> for sure so uh, we made it through there and uh, all in all it, it was fun it was tw- it was definitely worth 20 bucks i know uh, some of them some of the people i was with wanted to pay the extra 10 bucks to skip the line but uh i don't know if it was worth 30 <laughs> Uh, and luckily the lines weren't as long as last year so i will compare the two for you right now Carlson manor which i went to last year Heartstoppers, stoppers which i went to this year uh last year Carlson manor was really cool because one it was the first time i'd ever been to one of these in in 20 something years or more uh it was outdoors it was very creepy just finding the place because you have to drive way deep into these fairgrounds uh, through these streets that don't even have street lights, so it was it was hard to find. And then once we found it, we went in there, and uh, it uh, the lines were extremely long. And some of the sets now the, there was a total of like six haunted house attractions at Col- uh, Colson Manor, and three of them were really good, whereas the other three were just very uh, janky, <laughs> shoddy. Uh, like they could have put a lot more effort into it but the actors themselves were good they were scary and maybe due to the fact that there just wasn't a lot of light around because this was all built outside and uh, on some fairgrounds then uh yeah it it was a fun time now this one uh hard stoppers now the actors weren't nearly as scary but uh the attention to detail was a lot greater um and uh i mean from just a lot of the shit that was on the walls and some of the makeup that some of the characters had uh it was just definitely a higher quality in that aspect but you know most of the actors were young high school kids and uh they don't have those creepy uh people in the south that take this shit extremely seriously so uh yeah but all in all it was a good time worth 20 bucks uh, wasted a few hours and got my scare <laughs> out of the out of the way for the year and uh, it was pretty fun. So shit, man, we're at forty seven minutes already, and I've just been talking about nothing. So with it being Halloween, um, I'm gonna read you some fun Halloween facts because well, it's my favorite holiday. And what else are you gonna do but listen to me? So. Here we go. 40 fun facts about Halloween. As soon as I can get this goddamn page to load. Alright, 40 fun facts about Halloween. Let's get started. Number one. Because the movie Halloween, 1978, was on such a tight budget, they had to use the cheapest mask they could find for the character Michael Myers, which turned out to be a William Shatner Star Trek mask. Shatner initially didn't know the mask was in his likeness. But when he found out years later, he said he was honored. <laughs> so uh, I always knew that, but in case you guys didn't know that, it's pretty interesting. Two, the first jack-o'-lanterns were actually made from turnips. Three, Halloween is the second highest grossing commercial holiday after Christmas. Four, the word witch comes from old, the old English wicke, <coughs> meaning wise woman. In fact, Wiccan were highly respected people at one time. According to popular belief, witches held one of their two main meetings, or sabbats, on Halloween night. 5. Samhainophobia is the fear of Halloween. Now, here's the weird thing. is Halloween was originally called Samhain, I believe so, but they spell it S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So, to me, it's Samhain. It could be Samhain. I don't know why they spell it that way. Moving on. Number six, 50% of kids prefer to receive chocolate for Halloween compared to the 24% who prefer non-chocolate and the 10% who prefer gum. I'm always a chocolate kid. Number seven, the owl is a popular Halloween image. In medieval Europe, owls were thought to be witches. And to hear an owl's call meant someone was about to die. Eight, according to Irish legend, jack-o'-lanterns are named after a stingy man named Jack who 
because he tricked the devil several times, was forbidden entrance in both heaven and hell. He was condemned to wander the earth, waving his lantern to lead people from their paths. 9. The largest pumpkin ever measured was grown by Norm Craven, no relation to Wes Craven, who, was, who broke the world record in 1993 with an 836-pound pumpkin. 10. Stephen Clark, not the guy from Factor Nonverba, holds the record for the world's fastest pumpkin carving time, 24.03 seconds, smashing his previous record of 54.72 seconds. The rules of competition state that the pumpkin must weigh less than 24 pounds and must be carved the traditional way, which requires at least eyes, nose, ears, and a mouth. 11. Trick-or-treating evolved from the ancient Celtic tradition of putting out treats and food to placate spirits who roam the streets at Samhain, Samhain, a sacred festival that marked the end of the Celtic calendar year. 12. Souling is a medieval Christian precursor to the modern-day trick-or-treating. On Hollow Mass, November 1st, the poor would go door-to-door offering prayers for the dead in exchange for soul cakes. Now, soul cake sounds pretty fucking good, I must say that. Number 13, the first known mention of trick-or-treating in print in North America occurred in 1927 in Blackie, Alberta, Canada, which should be near Calgary, maybe? Number 14, Halloween is short for Hollow's Eve or Hollow's Evening, which was the evening before All Hollows, Sanctified or Holy Day, or Hollow Mass on November 1st. In an effort to convert pagans, the Christian church decided that Hollow Mass or All Saints Day, November 1st, and All Souls Day, November 2nd, should be should assimilate sacred pagan holidays that fell on or around October 31st. Number 15, black and orange are typically associated with Halloween. Orange is the symbol of strength and endurance and, along with brown and gold, stands for the harvest and autumn. Black is typically a symbol of death and darkness and acts as a reminder that Halloween once was a festival that marked the boundaries between life and death. 16, Ireland is typically believed to be the birthplace of Halloween. I can see that. 17, with their link to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, a precursor to Halloween, and later to witches, cats have a permanent place in Halloween folklore. During the ancient celebration of Samhain, druids were said to throw cats in a fire, often in wicker cages as part of a divination proceedings. As part of divination proceedings. Sorry, I'm not a great reader out loud. I'm practicing right now. But uh, the wicker man, <laughs> that's what that reminds me of. 18. Scarecrows, a popular Halloween fixture, symbolized the ancient agricultural roots of the holiday. Halloween, oh, this is 19. Halloween has vicariously been called All Hallows' Eve, Witches' Night, Lamb's Wool, Snap Apple Night, Samhain, and Summer's End. Number 20. Halloween was once was influenced by the ancient Roman festival Pomona, not California which celebrated the harvest goddess of the same name. Many Halloween customs and games that feature apples, such as bobbing for apples and nuts, date from this time. In fact, in the past, Halloween has been called Sand Apple Night and Nutcrack Night. Ooh, I don't want my nuts cracked. 21. Scottish girls believed that they could see images of their future husband if they hung wet sheets in front of the fire on Halloween. Other girls believed they would see their boyfriend's faces if they looked into mirrors while walking downstairs at midnight on Halloween. 22. Because Protestant England did not believe in Catholic saints, the rituals traditionally associated with Hollow Mass or Halloween became associated with Guy Fawkes Night. England declared November 5th Guy Fawkes Night to commemorate the capture and execution of Guy Fawkes, who co-conspirated to blow up the Parliament in 1605 to restore a Catholic king. I didn't know they could blow shit up in the 1600s. 23. Harry Houdini was one of the most famous and mysterious magicians who ever lived. Strangely enough, he died in 1926 on Halloween night as a result of appendicitis brought on by three stomach punches. 24. According to tradition, if a person wears his or hers clothes inside out and then walks backwards on Halloween, he or she will see a witch at midnight. Ooh, I gotta try that. 25. Mexico celebrates the Days of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, I didn't pronounce that right. On uh, Christian holidays, All Saints Day, November 1st, and All Souls Day, November 2nd, instead of Halloween, townspeople dress up like ghouls and parade down the street. 
Number 26, during the pre-Halloween celebration of Samhain, bonfires were lit to ensure the sun would return after a long, hard winter. Often, druid priests would throw the bones of cattle into the flames, and hence, bonfire became bonfire. That was cool. Number 27, dressing up as ghouls and other spooks originated from the ancient Celtic tradition of townspeople disguising themselves as demon and spirits. The Celts believed that disguising themselves this way would allow them to escape the notice of the real spirits wandering the streets during Samhain. Number 28, the National Retail Federation expects customers in 2010, okay, so this is an old list, <laughs> uh, to spend 66 points. $66.28 per person, which would be a total of approximately $5.8 billion on Halloween costumes, cards, and candy. That's up from the fifty-six thirty-one in 2009 and brings back brings spending back to a 2008. I don't know. I, I couldn't finish that one. I'm all thrown off by the year. We're in 2015. Uh, these are all 2010 things again, so here we go. 29. According to the National Retail Federation, 40.1% of those surveyed planned to wear a Halloween costume in 2010. In 2009, it was 33.4%. 33% will throw or attend a party. Number 30. In 2010, 72.2% of those surveyed by the National Retail Federation will hand out candy. 46.3% will carve a pumpkin. 20.8% will visit a haunted house. I know I did. And 11.5% will dress up their pets. Oh, we just did that too. Our dog got a brand new Batgirl dress for Halloween and it is very cute. I'll put it on Twitter. Uh, number 31. Halloween is thought to have originated around... 4,000 BC, which means Halloween has been around for over 6,000 years. Number 32, in 1970, a five-year-old boy, Kevin Tostin, allegedly ate Halloween candy laced with heroin. <laughs> oh, man. Investigators later discovered the heroin belonged to the boy's uncle and was not intended for Halloween candy. 33, in 1974, eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien died of cyanide poisoning after eating cyanide poisoning after eating Halloween candy. Investigators later learned that his father had taken out a $20,000 life insurance policy on each of his children and that he had poisoned his own son and attempted to poison his daughter. 34. Tang Che, which I probably pronounced wrong, or the Lantern Festival is one Halloween festival in China. Lanterns shaped like dragons and other animals are hung around horses and streets to help guide the spirits back to their earthly homes to honor their deceased loved ones. Family members leave food and water by the portraits of their ancestors. All right, I got five more. Let's see, five more facts as soon as I take another drink. Okay, here we go. 35. Halloween celebrations in Hong Kong are known as Yulan, or Festival of the Hungry Ghosts, during which fires are lit and food and gifts are offered to placate potentially angry ghosts who might be looking for revenge. 36. Both Salem, Massachusetts and Anoka, Minnesota are the self-proclaimed Halloween capitals of the world. 37. Boston, Massachusetts holds the record for the most jack-o'-lanterns lit at once. 30,128 jack-o'-lanterns. That's fucking crazy. Number 38, the Village Halloween Party in New York City is the largest Halloween party in the United States. The parade, oh, uh, it's the largest parade, not party, it's the largest parade. My mistake, I can't read. The parade includes 50,000 participants and draws over 2 million spectators. Number 39, in many countries, such as France and Australia, Halloween is seen as an unwanted and overly commercial American influence. Oh, yeah, fucking people hate America. And number 40, your 40th fact, fun fact about Halloween. Children are more than twice as likely to be killed in a pedestrian or car accident on Halloween than any other night. <laughs> That's a very fun uh, fact for all you parents out there so make sure you you watch your kids but hey man we still got uh two more episodes i believe or maybe next week is the last one because uh halloween's gonna be on a saturday but 
next Saturday going to the Social Lounge in San Francisco. Uh, brand new venue built right by the Regency Theater to see Glassjaw. Talked about them last week. I'm really excited. It's the first show that we've been to this year since January. So <laughs> we're going to just manage to get two shows in this year. But 2016, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. So, now that I'm up at about an hour here at the podcast, it's about time to make my exit. Uh, But first, uh, before I go, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, that's at Stephen M.J. Gedney. Uh, I've been doing a lot more stuff on Twitter, talking to people, and uh, also been talking to uh, Peter Kaysen, a guy uh, who's another fellow musician out there, and... uh, He's from. He lives in the San Francisco area. He's getting ready to move, but I played one of his songs on one of my very early episodes. He just decided to send me uh, one of his singles uh, that was released this year called Co-Pilot. It's some good stuff. Uh, we're going to close the show out with that in just a minute. Um, shit, you want to listen to my music? It's ruralsuburban.bandcamp.com. Uh, I haven't worked on any music this week, kind of searching for inspiration for those last two songs, but soon they will come out. And yeah, um, shit, I better make sure I get his uh, Twitter handle right. I'm trying to open my phone right now. Uh, Twitter. Twitter, Twitter. Twitter, Twitter. Okay, so... Uh, Peter Kaysen, and that is uh, P-E-T-R-K-E-S-E-N, <laughs> K-A-S-E-N. So PeterKaysen.bandcamp.com to find all of his music, and uh, at Peter Kaysen on uh, Twitter. So, And this dude, uh, I aspire to do as much music as this guy. He's done a lot of touring. He's even been to Europe, and uh, he's a self-made musician. So... You should support him because uh, he makes good music and uh, he is an inspiration to all. So we're going to close this, the show out with, uh, with Co-Pilot by Peter Kaysen. And until next week, have a good one. Oh, 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 oh,
Sacrifice we die.